Welcome to Who Knew. We are fans of the current series of Doctor Who, and here we discuss our likes, dislikes, and insights into the modern regeneration of the show. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on iTunes and Stitcher, or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash whonewpodcast. All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. You can leave comments there, or email us at whonewpodcast at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram and Twitter account. Tweet at us at whonewpodcast. And find us on Facebook. Hi, Eugene here. We are reposting our interview with the Doctor Who Am I team, Matthew Jacobs and Vanessa Ewell. The Who New Podcast was lucky enough to see this documentary in person and in a theater, no less. I think this was the first time all of us got together in, say, two and a half years. And we all made it out on a rainy Sunday at the uh, American Cinematheque in Los Feliz. And there was a, a great crowd got to see it on the big screen with uh, proper audio and then it was followed by a Q&A with uh, Matthew and Vanessa. It's just a nice documentary that they that they made. It's now available for digital purchase on all the platforms and uh, hopefully with the 60th coming around you will enjoy this. So go now and purchase it on your digital platform whatever your preference is and have a great time watching the documentary, Doctor Who Am I? Thanks, Eugene. Hey, this is Auburn. I just purchased Doctor Who Am I from iTunes for $12.99, but you can get it on Amazon Prime for $9.99 as well. Uh, I come in towards the middle of this conversation. I was working this day, but thank you all again for listening to this podcast. And please rent or buy Doctor Who Am I and give it a watch. Enjoy. Hi, Eugene here, and we got uh, Matthew Jacobs and Vanessa Yule, part of the uh, Doctor Who Am I movie documentary coming out soon, right? So we talked to Matt before, but Vanessa, can you tell us a quick version of how you got into Doctor Who? Uh, well, I got into the first, my first experience with Doctor Who was in the 80s when my father, who's a big sci-fi nerd, found this quirky British TV show. And I remember being a kid and being fascinated by this guy. He travels around in a, you know, a phone booth and all the wonderful quirky things that I remembered. And it was uh, Tom Baker with the scarf and the funny hair. Um, but I didn't really follow Doctor Who when it came back. It was actually Matthew is the reason why I was reintroduced to Doctor Who. Uh, we I'd worked on a couple of his uh, features before and we were friends um, and it, it was sort of over passing um, it was after the 50th and he'd been getting invited to conventions and he sort of I'm like why are you being invited to Doctor Who conventions that's just weird and he's like well I wrote the eighth doctor and I'm like wait what um so i didn't know about the tv movie i didn't know about any of that uh, matthew never talked about it um and so it was then paul mcgann uh i i found the tv movie online and i watched it there and i loved it um and you know it didn't we were filming within two months of our conversation so then it was a uh, i quickly got into it wow Yes. Uh, real quick, I that was my first introduction to like Doctor Who because I've only seen like print of Tom Baker. 
in magazines but that tv movie was my first introduction to like a a full-on dedicated two hours Yeah, and I mean, watching it now, I, it's fantastic. My my mom has watched it, and she's like, "Oh, this is so great!" You know, just a lot lots of, fun. of great one-liners. You know, Eric Roberts as the master. <laughs> I mean, I, Matthew was sort of explaining um, to me about all of the controversies of the movie, and I just couldn't believe it. Really, like, yeah. So, I mean, Matthew, you take it away. I mean, it was just sort of like why he was being invited to conventions is kind of funny. Well, it was interesting. After the uh, 50th, um, I started getting invited to conventions. And I had been invited to a very strange convention in Jacksonville, Florida, which was going to be Colin Baker, uh, me and Dr. Puppet. Um, And I had... I had pictures of this being sort of alligators and Doctor Who fans, and, and I just didn't want to go. And that's what I was telling Vanessa. And Vanessa, and it was Vanessa who was saying, you know, oh my gosh, that's a good story because you don't want to go. And she was right. Um, and so, Matthew's really funny. And, it, and well, he's great on screen, you know. So yeah, the documentary itself, it follows Matthew, and he's quite a character. Like I, I always say he's kind of like a Ricky Gervais, Larry David type, <laughs> throw him into like Doctor Who fans, like, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? <laughs> yes. I think if you're, if you're, if you get the um, Doctor Who, am I thinking that you're going to see a behind the scenes documentary about the making of the TV movie, you will be disappointed because that's not what it is. What it, what it became um, was really Um, my journey into fandom, because as I set off on this journey, I didn't believe myself to be a fan. By the time I finished it, I had found a form of fandom and I also had found a form of regeneration because we didn't just go to one convention. You know, we went to a couple of conventions and we went different times. We visited people in their homes. And and yes, it's funny, but it's also, it's also hopefully people can recognize their own journey to fandom um, in it. And also we do explore other fans. We explore why they're doing. We explore the idea of how trauma can sometimes be healed by one's fandom but that's not the only thing obviously um that brings you to fandom but it's but it's certainly was for me in a in a strange kind of a way and uh, all these mysteries and more get revealed when you watch the movie oh that's good uh, speaking of that the trailer when uh, when we had that conversation a couple of years ago there was no trailer yet so when the that's trailer right. came out i was like wow this is this is kind of everything that you told us about and even more, like I felt very connected yes. emotionally to that. Yes, trailer. Vanessa. Well, it was a, it was one of those documentaries where Vanessa's the editor of the of the of the film, as well as the co-director and and co-producer. And so Vanessa very much was the person who was sort of finding the story, um, and uh, and and I think that I think that um, the story didn't change that much from when I last met you two years ago. But but bit by bit we we added little bits like we brought in um, Eric Roberts and Eric talks about you know the nature of passion and love and you know he's talking with his wife there so 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 and in that respect um, we stayed very true to where it was two years ago. Then that brings me to Vanessa. Matt mentioned that it hasn't changed much from when you guys first started. 
Like, did it take um, a lot of time to kind of find that arc of the story? Well, I mean, yes, when we were filming, we had no idea what we were going to, what the story was. So we're just like, film, film. And we we met so many wonderful people. Um, and, you know, some people did confront Matthew with some very honest opinions about, you know, half the doctor being half human or kissing his companion. And that's very entertaining. But certainly as we were filming, we weren't sure what happens, but there was a shift that happened in Long Island. Um, I mean, we started filming this in 2015. That's right. This has so, been a, a saga. Two, for yeah, us. two years ago, we, we, we kind of knew where we were with it. Two yes. years that you know, in, by the time we got to 2020, and um, and obviously it's truly an independent film. It is just the two of us. We are American Anorak. So when it took a while for it to start picking up festivals, and it picked up London Sci-Fi, and from London Sci-Fi where it won the Audience Award, and from Melbourne Documentary Festival where it got lots of great reviews, and it got attention from the Guardian and the press, we picked up a distributor in Britain, um, Kaleidoscope Films, and they in turn have picked up a distributor here, Gravitas, um, and so it's coming out March 28th on all good platforms in this country. Yeah, is yeah. there going to be a theatrical release? We wish. Um, yeah. But, but, but we're going to do our best to sort of create, you know, a bushfire of people <laughs> wanting to see this film. And, and in the UK, we had a very small, very small theatrical release, but it was very effective because fans got together and sort of celebrated their fandom in a cinema, watching it. It was fun for them to see the TV movie on the big screen. It was fun for them to sort of recognise their fandom in American fans. So we're hoping, we're doing um, Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival, we're doing Gallifrey, we're doing Beloit um, um, International Film Festival, and, uh, and hopefully a few other screenings. And if anybody out there has access to a cinema um, uh, and they want to show the film, they should reach out to Gravitas and they can just, you know, rent it, show it for a very nominal sum and have an event with fans. It, I, I think that would, and they can, they can do that now. You know, they could, they should make that noise now so that Gravitas sort of starts to become aware of the fact that there is an audience that wants to get together to see this film. Yeah, and on that, that nice, nice pitch, Matt, nice pitch. Um, but on that, so... Uh... Yes, it's coming out March 28th, but then it's the 60th, the celebrate the 60th yes. anniversary yeah. is, is in November. So will there be a theatrical? It's, it really comes down to the fans and we want, you know, or whoever falls in love with the f film to just sort of, you know, get together, yes, at their local cinema. And, you know, some places are, have really reduced rates now just to get people in the cinema. So have like screening right. parties because it's really a great film to watch with an audience. You get their big laughs you know every time we've seen it you know in, in festival screenings or whatever else we're always it's always interesting to see how they can catch the nuances um and and are just laughing and then they get quiet at a certain point where it <laughs> gets very emotional and you know the audience goes quiet so no. Well, that means you've done your job as an editor. It can all be emotional. And then I it all know. Where <laughs> I'm like, they're crying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
we, we, well, the Australian festival was pretty much a virtual festival um, because it was still very much COVID in Australia. Um, so that was fascinating. We were doing a lot of time travel and as much as we'd be here at, at some ungodly hour going on ABC on, um, on radio in, in, in uh, Australia. And, but as far as American festivals are concerned, we showed at Newport, our first one was Newport Beach. Um, uh, which is a very sort of ritzy, fantastic festival with, you know, lots of lots of rich people. And then the other festival that was almost the same week that we dashed up to was in Portland, Oregon, which was much more sort of, was more of a fun festival taking place in an abandoned shopping mall um, with all sorts of other shocked filmmakers. Um, and uh, we, had, we had a great time. We still managed to fill the audience and we still managed to sort of have a great time. So those two festivals were good. And then we've shown at various conventions. What were the conventions that we've shown at, Vanessa? Long Island, BritCon. Yes. We're going to be at Gallifrey. Oh, and, and BritCon, yeah. And, and uh, um, yes, and, and in Chicago. Um, oh, right, the, uh, Yeah, yeah, Chicago Tardis. Chicago. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that was great because that was like showing to people who are actually in the movie or know people in the movie. It's taken us so long to make the movie that, sadly, some people have passed and certainly the carpet has changed at, um, um, at Gallifrey at, one. At Gallifrey. Are you coming to Gallifrey this year? Do I think? don't know yet. Um, just because I, I, before you got on, Vanessa, I mentioned that I had just gotten COVID. So I'm kind of wary. I'm just getting over it. So <laughs> oh, you should be good by, by mid January or mid February. February is like good. next month. I mean, next ah, week. You'll be fine. <laughs> you'll be fine. <laughs> I, ho I hope to go, though. It's a little scary going to these conventions because they are like petri dishes. Yeah, they're you know they're, tight. they're yeah. very like yeah. Yeah. So so like it's... yeah, Long Island was a great screening. I think it was like my favorite, and we were in this small room or not. It wasn't a small room. It was like you know a medium sized room, but it was packed. Yeah. And very intimate. Of course, we're both like ah, maybe this is when we get COVID. I don't, I don't know, but <laughs> we didn't, and it was great. It was wonderful. There was so it, it was just like there were so many laughs. It was nice because when people are closer together, it gives permission to laugh somehow. Yes. Whereas mm -hmm. when you're all so spread out, it people are laughing and smiling, but you just feel more reserved. I think. Yeah. So okay, I'll do two things here because uh, originally we wanted to try to get this interview in in December of last year, but then you guys were traveling, so I'm glad yeah. you got all that traveling done so you can talk about it. But then the other thing, uh, maybe Matt can kind of talk about this is that American television, like especially sitcoms, have that laugh track, and yes. to me that that reminds me that like we're supposed to enjoy these things as a community, as as family, huddled by a TV, being the proverbial fireplace now listening to radio where I think it was uh, somebody in the UK was like, American TV is so dumb. They they have to have a laugh track so you know when to laugh. I'm like, I don't think that's that there's a there's a medium between those two extremes. <laughs> it is a bit of both. It doesn't mean that American TV is dumb at all. It means that all, all it means is that I mean in Britain they definitely have have um, you know fixed they definitely have multi-camera shows with an audience. Um, but they don't use it quite as cleverly as American TV does. In American TV, it's filmed before a live audience. But as far as I know, they take the soundtrack with the laughs and they advance it just a few frames. 
um, so that the laugh will start will, will start really quickly. It'll mm. you really pick up fast off of a off of a gag. So there is a degree of telling the audience at home, "This is funny. This is funny. This is funny." Are they still um, using laugh tracks? I'm trying. I've been like, well, I'm thinking of like, they're oh. not laugh tracks. They they'll they use it's always in front of a live audience, but they'll well, but they'll take the sound when it's filmed in front of a live audience. They have four four or five cameras, um, uh, and uh, and they record it in chunks, and the audience is there, and the audience reacts, um, and the audience is part of it. It's a fascinating thing to go to. Um, we should have and, recorded Long Island and then did that as yeah, a track. We should. We should have. Bonus feature. Yeah, laugh track. Yeah, why not? Is, on it, is it coming out on physical media? You should have put yes. that as a special it'll feature. Be, <laughs> yeah, be, just yes. like just go on running laugh. So, uh, both Blu-rays, the Blu-ray that's available at the moment that people can get from UK Amazon um, uh, is, is very basic. It's just the film. Um, and in the UK, you don't have to. There's no law about providing subtitles, so if you're so if you're hard of hearing, don't get it. Um, it's a, you know wait for the American Blu-ray to come out, um, which will be on American Amazon um, at around about the same time. But uh, but the Blu-ray doesn't have any extras at the moment. I think down the line, this is per this is a perfect film for a later edition where we can put extras on there because we cut um, little vignettes about all the people who we talked to um, that were kind of beautiful little, tiny little films in of themselves. Mm. Uh, we did one about Ken Deep. We did one about Daphne. We did all those early in the day. And they're like little portraits. And one day down the line, it would be nice just to sort of, we've been giving those portraits to the people so that they can look at them. Um, but, uh, but, one day down the line, it would be great to have more extras on the on the Blu-ray, or just a commentary and a laugh track. Yeah, commentary and a laugh track. I mean, this is something I don't mind double dipping. You know, <laughs> get the original release and then get the extended extra deluxe release. <laughs> Did you watch it? Have you seen it yet? Not yet. I was I was kind of waiting to get like the podcast group to go to a theater, but right. if that's not going to happen anytime soon. Like in the March area, might just uh, get it and then we'll just hold our own viewing party. Yeah, yeah go to Gallifrey. Or that. It's, it's, <laughs> definitely, it's definitely showing that. And um, we've been talking to American Cinematheque and they've been talking to us about doing a double bill of oh, the perfect. TV movie and the uh, documentary and, you know, to celebrate the 60th later this year. And I think that would be a fantastic thing to sort of really stir up some interest and fill either the Los Feliz 3 or the the Egyptian. That's a great idea. I don't know why they're not jumping on that. <laughs> well, they, they, I know he's keen. Grant Manager, who's the uh, guy who runs, who's the main programmer at American Cinematheque, is a big Doctor Who fan. And, and his first experience with Doctor Who as well was the TV movie. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to what you talked about, like all those little vignettes, like Vanessa, how much footage have you shot versus like you have to cut it down to what? Two hours? I, I, yeah, I need to go back and like actually, because people seem, people ask. And at one point I had the exact like hours and minutes. Um, I mean, a lot of things were shot to cameras. Um, so it was like a ballpark, like 80-ish minutes is what I'm saying. 80 hours. 
Uh, sorry, 80 minutes <laughs> the length of the finished film. That would be cool. <laughs> one to one ratio. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, it was a lot. Um, and we kept adding things over the years too. Um, this is my first, well, it's my first feature film that I've, you know, directed, co-directed and first um, feature to have edited. And, um, you know, Matthew is very adamant of Vanessa, you have to put your own fingerprint on this. This is something you, ha you have to get to the end of like this process. And it, cause it was quite daunting when you're just like, oh my goodness, I have all of this, all of all of this information how do you all of the, this footage how do you put it together so it's like a story right. um and it is is certainly daunting at, at first and that's when it was just like okay we both kind of made these little vignettes on people but it's like i i always wanted matthew to be this the arc of the story the framework mm -hmm. and we're following his personal story and he was you know quite he was reluctant at first but yeah, i didn't want to do that initially because i thought it was indulgent but at the end of the day um vanessa was right um, it's a it was the best way to tell this story yeah, I was going to say that that's that follows that story structure of reluctancy, acceptance, and then whatever the ending is. You're right. Redemption. Yeah. <laughs> Redemption, regeneration. Yes, this in, yeah. in the spirit yeah. of the doctor of you know. Well, well the redemptive that is, arc. Yeah, the redemptive yeah. arc is such a you thing that we're familiar with. It's certainly there in things like um, you know Empress New Groove and other stuff I've done. The, right, but, we were saying that Matthew was the llama. Yeah, I was like, I was like, you know, Cusco. I'm a bit of a dickhead at the beginning of the, <laughs> at the beginning of the story, and then bit by bit, I I learned the meaning of friendship with my funny friend Vanessa. <laughs> um, and I don't know, I don't know what, you know, I suppose, um, you know, is Paul McGann Isma? Is he? <laughs> is he you know what what you know what, you know there's parallels we we often tell the same stories over and over not just me but you know i think on films we're used to yeah um following somebody and as we're watching the film we're saying oh eugene's really not getting it is he and then and then <laughs> so we're rooting for him to sort of get it um uh, and and that's that's kind of the story that vanessa saw you know because we were picking up things we we could have made little we could have made short films about a lot of the individuals who we met and there were all sorts of wonderful people there was a person who who was a ground zero 911 and we did a long interview with him and he talked about how the firemen there um, would use Doctor Who as a sort of means of escape from the intensity of the work they were doing. Wow. And that was fascinating. But we couldn't include that. At the end of the day, there, was, there, were, there were stories like that that we came across. Um, right. I mean, we did talk about it. We wanted yeah. to incorporate it because there's also this difference between like fans in New York or, you know, East Coast, West Coast mm -hmm. and yes. sort of just their attitudes and how they express fandom. And then the person who Matthew is talking about, I mean, it is is powerful interview, but then we're like, oh, this is becoming it's just it's becoming too much maybe about 9-11 or something else. And we need to like focus on just these through lines. Yeah. So some the other day had asked like what ended up on the cutting room floor and it's like oh there were just so many great oh, I'm sure. interviews <laughs> yes. we chatted a lot of stuff about daphne 
Ashbrook, and she, 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 she. There was more of her in the longer versions, mm. um, and those, those. Everybody had a little bit more. Um, somebody was asking me the other day, where did we shoot Paul McGann? Because they weren't sure. They said, oh, he's just in a garden somewhere. Did you go back to England to shoot him? Well, he's not. He's in, it's at Long Island Who, and Long Island, you know, has weather. Um, and so we were out in the sort of misty back, the a quiet place behind where the convention hotel was taking place, if, you, if anybody's wondering. Huh. You're going to take it where you can get it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was very nervous making him, wasn't I? Yeah. It was like the, our first day of shooting in Long Island that morning. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, great. Okay. As a crew, we're just, oh, all right. We're, we're, we're just going to get into this. First interview, Paul McGann. Have you had oh, your coffee wow. yet? All right. Here we go. <laughs> Man, you started off like <laughs> yeah, really jumped high in the deep end. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I but haven't I mean, seen him really since 96. Whoa. So it was, I mean, the previous night we just said hi and he'd agreed to come and do it. And then we said, well, let's meet at 8.30, you know, whatever time it was at the back of the hotel. And people could see us from inside the hotel. Um, uh, it was, it was when we got reports later on, people came to the windows of their hotel rooms and could see us walking around with Paul. Paul's like sort of Yoda. He's sort of telling the truth and trying to give me some guidance and encouragement. I mean, one of the things um, that we asked people about was like, who is the doctor in, in you? Or like, how are you the doctor? And everyone came up with their own very, very personal reasons, which I found surprising because I, I had only just started. I only, yeah, I kind of got into the 2005 series after we started filming and for me it was kind of maybe a place of escape i was getting you know my father had passed away the previous fall and so for me it was like oh this is a safe place that i can go to and oh my god this is really fun and enjoyable um so i could sort of relate to those things um so here bouncing the interview question back hey eugene what who you know hey, what's the, the doctor in, in you or, the doctor in you <laughs> well um I'll answer this with sort of other aspects like uh, the characters I try, I normally gravitate towards are the, um, the examples like Superman and Captain America, like the ones that I could never be, but who I want, I want the ones to save me. Like, I don't want Batman to save me because he's going to terrify me. So mm -hmm. I want somebody without a mask, which is Superman, like I'm your friend, like that, that scene with Christopher Reeve in that first movie where he's like, who are you? And he's like, a friend. And like, that's who I want to be. Yeah. Right. Or I strive to be. So with the doctor's optimism and like fondness for humanity, that humanity on earth specifically <laughs> mm -hmm. is worth saving. And no matter how many times we screw it up, he or she is going to be there. That's what I like about the show. Yeah. It's that's very good. And it is that personal thing. That's interesting. I never thought about that, like a superhero with a mask versus no mask. But yeah. I'm totally, I'm, I'm vibing that. I'm, you know, I agree. Yeah. If yeah. I saw Batman, that would, that would, he would freak me out. Yeah, in real <laughs> life, you would be freaked out because his whole motive is terror and fear, but mm -hmm. for the bad guy. <laughs> right. But yet right. he's going to come at you with all of that. And you're like, who is this guy? <laughs> yeah. And the doctor, just by that word, doctor 
is somebody who's there for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a caring aspect. Um, well, there's also a healer aspect and yeah. a fixer aspect with the sonic screwdriver. Yes. Like the yes, doctor yeah. wasn't given a it's gun. It's not a gun. Or right. a knife. He have, have can blow fire from his hands. Even yeah. though sometimes the sonic screwdriver Oh, that drives, right. He but, does blow fire. But... I suppose he does. He does. <laughs> I just was watching uh, the new Witcher series, the Blood Origin or something. And oh, yeah, chaos yeah. Chaos and stuff. But yes, he does blow fire, I guess. Um, but it's not the main purpose of that tool because it's a tool and not a weapon. That's right. Right. Right, right, right. So that's why I kind of like Captain America because they gave him a shield, which is for defense as opposed to offense. Right. That's interesting as well. It's funny being an adult and like, why do I like these things? Let me like ponder and then here you go. (laughs) And we don't stop, do we? It's all of, you know, we've still got old old wars happening. What's happening in Ukraine is is an old-fashioned war. Um, it's very strange. Are the, bad guys. the Russians are the bad guys. They mean tanks. They're blowing each other up. I mean, it's it's almost it's almost like a throwback to the First World War. Um, it's it's hmm. a kind of scare. Yeah, it's a kind of scarily familiar scenario that's being replayed over and over. Hey there. Hello. Howdy. Thank you for letting me join you. I apologize. Uh, um, I've just been listening into the last little bit of conversation. Sounds like you guys are doing great, have it under control. I don't want to <laughs> stop the momentum. I mean, like I, I, I kind of put in the email, it's more of a conversational interview. There's no real agenda. So just chatting. Yeah, just chatting. And then like kind of like you with your documentary, we're just finding the story as it comes along. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've noticed that there's a lot of documentaries that are out right now that are similar to this sort of vibe of something that was from 1996, but we're gaining almost cult status or it's becoming accepted in the in the in the pop culture zeitgeist. Like yes, um, like like the Bowie one. Yeah, yeah there was the uh, the one that I really enjoyed was the. Uh, my Nightmare on Elm Street, talking about this, the second movie oh. specifically. Yes, yes. Oh, I've I haven't heard about seen that. that. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, you should check. Okay, so it, when you think of the Nightmare on Elm Street, you will not think of the second movie because it is so different from what is the that franchise. Dream no, oh. it's um, it's the one where Freddy becomes the uh, the protagonist. Is and that the, Frank Darabont's one? I don't think so. I'm going to look it up right now so I don't. I, think, I can't it. remember whether he did Dream Warrior or. Which one he did, but yeah, or, that's fascinating. So somebody, you mean there are a lot of these films out here that are very specifically taking a small part of pop culture and saying let's explore that yes. and let's explore the impact of that piece of pop culture. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. There so, is. So this one is called Scream, comma Queen exclamation point My Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, reading from IMDb, it's a retrospective of Nightmare on Elm Street on 2, Freddy's Revenge, and the life of the lead actor, Mark Patton. And uh, kind of like similar to the the Doctor Who movie where it wasn't accepted as much. Right, and then yeah. through, throughout time, it's become more embraced. I think it's, it's fascinating, the films that don't go away. Sometimes, often films come out and they are critically panned. Most yeah. of Stanley Kubrick's films have got bad reviews. Um, and then over the years, 
films sort of gain a status, they gain an audience, and they're viewed in different ways. And I think films, documentaries that explore that open people's mind to the sort of the way in which the culture of film is a flexible medium. Um, and that's a good thing. There was a movie that I watched um, while we were filming or in the process of this. It's called uh, Best Worst Movie. And it's about the kid who was in Trolls 2. Yeah. <laughs> Trolls 1, it's weird. Trolls 1 has more of a budget. And then they did the sequel and they're like, what happened to the money? Right. Yeah. Or they weren't even called Trolls. They were like called Gremlins or, or I forget. There was a funny thing. They're like, why is this called Trolls 2? Mm -hmm. um, but that Trolls 2 has become like a cult movie. Um, I mean, I honestly, though, I think the TV movie is better than a cult movie. I mean, it is yeah, a cult movie, a, but I just think it's a really good movie. It's not like a bad film. We watched no. it in we watched it in Seattle. It plays um, with it's a Britcom, and we watched it with Eric, with Paul, um, and it would have been lovely if Daphne had been there, but she unfortunately had COVID and couldn't come to this convention. And because she holds the film together, she's got this tremendous presence. Um, and it played with an audience. Watching it with an American audience um, was the first. It was was fantastic to see. I hadn't seen that since since the uh, you know since Cinematech since since the sorry the cinematographers um, screening in LA in '96. And it was it was wonderful to see it work. And it works. It's a it's a good film. But it's it it has a it it. There's an interest in exploring aspects of popular culture that, that by itself, that interest has become a genre, which is what you're saying, Eugene. There are these documentaries out there that are, that are doing this in a fascinating way. Val Kilmer's film, oh, I thought, was great. very, yeah. wasn't it? it was, that was very affecting. Um, and like our film, it had a kind of a, um, you know, a family feel to it. You know, there, was home, there were home movies. You go and see Doctor Who Am I, you'll see my kids when they were little, you'll see, you'll see, um, you know, I, and, and it had that feeling as well. So there's a personal aspect of these films about pop culture that I think is really interesting. Yeah, for sure. Val is an interesting one. Um, that was co-directed by Leo Scott and Ting Poo. You worked I never met. I never met Ting, but I know Leo. I worked with him for, for a while. And just knowing that that was a project I mean, the amount of footage they had to digitize. He filmed <laughs> yes. his entire life. I oh, mean, yeah, that... on, on camcorders, no, no less. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like Amy, the documentary Amy, how everything was, you know, all archival. It's like, wow, that's, that's a whole nother beast of storytelling <laughs> yes. when you have an archive that huge. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and Doctor Who am I? You're with us on the journey as we're finding the story. And you see the moments where we find where revelations happen. Um, so it has that aspect, as, a, as opposed to having a sort of godlike purview. You're with us. Hopefully yeah, it's like a it document. It's a documentary about making a documentary. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, a little rough around the edges. We joke that you know you can always see the. Uh, you often see the um the sound the, the mic the in boom mic shot. You know. Yes. We had a, uh, we had to, we hired some people, you know, we had, we're in LA, they're in New York or whatever. We hired yeah. one guy who was just like, can I just be in front of the camera? <laughs> <laughs> but he was fantastic. He got good sound 
I think he took the attitude with, well, they're not going to tell me what they're going to shoot, so I'm just going to get the best sound I can get. And I'm just um, going to stand right here. <laughs> 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 We're like, okay. But I in case he listens, he did a good job. He did, he did a very good job. Very good job. Great yeah. sound. Great sound. No, I think those are some of the best things because I think that's why I started listening to podcasts because you're kind of just – fly on the wall on a conversation so you listen to like let's say a season's worth of a particular yes. podcast show and you feel yes. like this guy is your best friend even though you've yes. never met have you ever listened so, to dead eyes yeah yeah it's dead so eyes which is a very pop podcast is just brilliant and that likewise is a sort of a, a you know a fly on the walls view of something the basic story there is this actor who didn't get cast in band of brothers and was told <laughs> by his agent that Tom Hanks thought he had dead eyes. And he carried this around with him as an actor and decided to do a podcast about that. And so he interviews all these people and eventually obviously gets to interview Tom. And, and it's, it's, if you haven't heard dead eyes, I hate to sort of use yours to publicize something else. <laughs> but, but that, I, I'm just saying it the same as you, Eugene. There's these podcasts, are fantastic. when I'm cleaning up my small apartment, it's, you know, I'll listen to Mark Maron. I mean, my gosh, he did an interview with Courtney Love the other week. That's just oh, you told me about amazing. That. Yeah. I think it's cool that so much now we're looking for community in our media where before, you know, the the tools were so expensive that you couldn't do that but now we have you know the radio analog of podcasts and documentary films and even feature films can be made with such inexpensive tools but we're looking for that connection with other people that's i think been lacking in many of our lives especially after covid but yeah. what i what i liked seeing on your the trailer for your movie is the family and the community aspect that I, I hope that you're going to show. I'm, I'm sure that you'll, you'll bring that out, but yeah, finding yes. those connections in the families that we make instead of the families that we're born into yes. is, is kind of our generations. That's a very journey. good line. We should have used that. Did, did you use that? Is that from your trailer? Family, no, I but, watched but it a while ago. We say a family that's bigger on the inside, but what you oh, just said, no, that's, the, that's family that, the family that you make is better than the one you were born into or, is 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 different to the one you're born into that's a that's a that's a great very that, well that's a good phrase yes it's yeah. the di born into yeah we yeah okay we might take that too write that that's down. fine thank you because that kind of is relevant to the story of uh, doctor who am i because i explore um my relationship to my father who was mm. doc holiday um uh, in, in the gunfighters and uh um, it was only after we made the documentary that I went, Doc Holliday, Dr. Holloway. It was like I, I didn't consciously write, you know, Grace Holloway as, as a sort of rhyming name um, for Doc Holliday. Um, that just that wasn't a conscious thing at all, but they certainly echo each other. The doctor comes to America and establishes a relationship with another doctor. Both shows. Interesting. One doctor um, is a dentist. Yes, one doctor is <laughs> a dentist. The other is a heart surgeon. But, right, yeah. but, but uh, <laughs> what can you do? And the other one's trying to take out a tooth, and the other's trying to find a bullet. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It was, obviously, one gets stuck in a groove. 
Well, they're similar skill sets, tiny things being extracted from the box. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I'm a reality television editor. So when you speak about mounds of footage, that's I enjoy having mounds of footage to go through because usually if if we don't have enough, that means we we don't have the shots we need. Use the shot again. Yes, yes. <laughs> B-roll. <Okay. laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, you might touch on this in the documentary, but do you have any advice for aspiring filmmakers, whether they be documentary or narrative filmmakers, to impart? That's a pretty big question. I mean, I guess uh, don't give up. That's sort of the, or also yeah, keep good yeah. company. Um, yeah. It was, we we're, as Matthew mentioned before, just a super indie production. We kind of went out with this can do, yeah, we're making a movie kind of gusto. Little did we know that would take over seven years to like get it out there. Um, and it, at some point, yeah, it, it was, it was um, our, you know, the friendship, collaboration, um, just Matthew's probably the more glass half full, I can be glass half empty. So we kind of like, you know, m to keep the motivation going and everything like that. So it was like having a good um, partner to be doing that with. Um, and there are going to be dark times, but you know, you'll get there. Just got to get exactly. there. You're, you're, you're dead right. I mean, it is that thing of if you just keep knocking, eventually somebody's going to open the door. You don't know who it's going to be. You don't know what's going to happen. If you just keep knocking, just keep trying, eventually, you know, things, things work out. And finding your, you know, as Guillermo del Toro calls it, your film family um, is very important. That's wherever you are, be you at film school or be you just making films in your own time collecting people around you who have like minds um, and who, you know, who can, you don't want to be alone doing this. Some people get off on that, but, but I, but I, but I think it's important, you know, to find, to find your family. Um, and, and, I, and I'm not talking from the fan point of view, I'm talking about, it's like, it's like Vanessa and I started working together after um, I'd uh, done a film for, for, Bernard Rose uh, called uh, Boxing Day. And I was inspired by that film, um, which we made for very little money, British Film Institute film. We shot in Colorado with no budget. And it was just like Bernard with a camera, me and Danny Houston. And you can find this film, Boxing Day. It's, a, it's an interesting adaptation of the Tolstoy short, Tolstoy novella, Master and Man. And it, and it played Venice. So we made this little film on a, on a, on a Canon 7D. And there we were at the giant cinema in Venice um, showing this film. So shortly after that, I thought, well, you know, I was teaching at Academy of Art University in San Francisco. And Vanessa was doing her post-grad there. And Dylan Glockler, who shot Doctor Who Am I, was there. And, uh, and I... Well, and Dylan I and I... Well, yeah, I was yeah, working on my documentary, An American Contradiction. That's right. So Dylan they were a team. My, yeah, we were, a, we were a documentary team. They were already a team. And, and, I've, and I had been hanging out with a, um, an elderly rabbi, uh, Lawrence Kushner, and we would meet up on Monday evenings and smoke pot, and, you know, have a nice... Very San Francisco. 
and and just like you know teenagers let's make a band you know let's make a movie so i said how much money have you got i'll match that you know what would you spend on a vacation and then we teamed up with vanessa and dylan who you know who were already a good documentary team when we made we made our first film which was your good friend which is also easy to get you can see it on 2b and on and other what's the things. premise of your good friend the you the premise of your good friend is very simple it's a uh a recently widowed rabbi, played by a real rabbi, Lawrence Kushner, comes from from Boston to uh, San Francisco to well, like the- find that apartment where he find the apartment where he'd fallen in love with his wife. But living in the apartment is a washed up pornographer, played by me, and <laughs> the two of them need money, and they decide to form. They decide to make a website of clergy approved pornography. Um, uh, which, of course, is doomed because they're both too old to make websites. It's a disaster. And then they get this documentary team. So it's a mocky documentary drama. Um, so they get this documentary team to film them in their attempt to do this. And that's where Vanessa and Dylan come in, and they're in the movie. Vanessa is there. Vanessa is also an actor. Um, so it's been a while. It's been a while. But, but, and we occasionally act and do stuff. So, so it was fun. So we created that film family. Do you see what I mean? So it's like out of that, then we did Bar America. And then it just seemed very natural to, to do Doctor Who Am I? It was like we didn't think twice about it. So when we say in the movie, don't wait for permission, that's, that's the credo we've kind of lived by. It can be risky because you, you, don't, it, 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 you don't really earn any money not waiting for permission. You just you don't get somebody to pay for it. So you have to do it yourself. But at the end of the day, if you've got an audience for what you're doing, there w- you, you know, it, it will work out. You don't have an audience. That's fine, too. You just make it for yourself. But basically, I think it's, I think it's good if there is an audience. Yeah. I mean, we kept telling people there is an audience. And even then, they were kind of like, not getting it, but we were right. There's an audience. <laughs> it like, took it was Doctor Who fans. Colin Vanes in London, who is a very good executive producer, was a big supporter, and he would be taking it around and drawing a blank um, of, of with our documentary. And uh, and then in the end of it, it was Spencer Pollard and uh, and another the producer who who picked it up from. The, winning the audience award, and they knew there was an audience. Um, so, so, but you only need one person um, who who believes it. I think that yeah, and that one person is really, I guess, Louis Savvy from the yes. Sci-Fi London Film Festival. Yes, really. and then it was like the same week that we got London Sci-Fi in Melbourne. But at, up until that point, I was just. Spiral, like getting really depressed. Like we're not going to get into any festivals. Like in my hometown turned us down. Um, there was another one, the Cleveland that had initially turned us down and my film had shown there and stuff. And it was just like, no one's going to see it. But then we got into London Sci-Fi, won the audience award, had the Guardian article, Spencer Pollard from Kaleidoscope came through and we're like, wow, really? It's like kind of just, you need that champion. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of conventions, like, had both of you gone to conventions prior to that? What, the first what, one. Okay. You, so this well, is all... That, no, no. I mean, when we went to to the first Gallifrey that you see us arriving at in the, in the film, um, that was the first Doctor Who convention. That was the first 
convention that I'd ever been to. What about you, Vanessa? Do you think? Oh, I, oh, I, I, I'd, uh, I years ago had gone to an X Files convention. Yeah, so I've been to a convention before. But <laughs> that was my first uh, Doctor Who convention. Yeah. No, I think it's great that there's a convention for almost everything you can think of these days. It's really nice. nice. Yeah. I was learning about balloon um, twirling. So balloon twirling is like, you know, when you have a, because there was this guy at Long Island who would make, you know, those long skinny balloons. And usually the clown makes a little dog or makes a sword. He was making these like gigantic sculptures of like, you know, the sixth doctor and these you, you all these creatures from doctor who and it was incredible it was incredible art and he was telling me all about balloon twirling wow. um spinning twirling a no, balloon twirling and so, um there's like some convention in glendale next month like <laughs> some competition so you're gonna, for it. is I'm that like, gonna be your next film wow, Vanessa? Okay. are you gonna go there and film that vanessa you should um i don't know if i'm well we'll see i i don't know if i want to uh, be there. I, I don't know. It's not maybe idea. maybe it's a sizzle reel. Yeah, it's still in development. Yeah, still yeah. In development. I'm so wary of starting projects without a budget. Um, yeah, this one was. Uh, some you know sometimes you just have to you just have to have that sort of punk kind of courage. I think that's very much what uh, Bernard Rose has. He he he's a filmmaker we work for. He made Candyman. He made paper house i wrote for him other you know and, and and i've been we've both been in his films and i've and i'm pretty constantly in his films as well and we're just really good friends we meet up we hike up into griffith park and he has that kind of can-do thing of like i'm just starting this i'm doing it we're making it it doesn't matter we did a film called Traveling Light that we shot during the pandemic um, with a bunch of actors who were all friends. You know, one of those films. And it was had that kind of positive energy. At some point, you have to say, I'm going to just make this film um, uh, and then you know, build it and they will come. Um, and, and then eventually you, you gather supporters. And hopefully if there's an audience, it means that you will get some money to make it because they will see some way in which they can make the money back. Otherwise, you have to get grunts. Yeah, or start uh, selling your body parts, I guess. <laughs> I haven't done that yet. That's a good idea. <laughs> Don't think you get much from my body parts. You never know. There's a convention for everything. <laughs> oh, body parts convention. Yeah, this is turning dark. That's oh, really wait, did good. Ever, speaking of do documentaries, there's one called Finders Keeper, which no. is about a the the brothers. Well, uh, no. oh no. wait, no. no, that's Brothers Keeper. That's brother. Yeah, you're right. I think I thought find Finders Keeper, I believe, is about a guy who wins an auction for like, um, you know, they auction off um, storage units, and he found a uh, like petrified foot. Inside oh the gosh, <laughs> that's like Cabinet of Curiosities. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. And then it's about this guy is like, I just want my foot back, and then the other guy who won it, he's like, No, this is mine. This is my foot. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> wow! Right. I, I looked it up. I remember the poster. Uh, it's a foot wrapped in like newspaper. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You, oh, that's awful. That's terrible. <laughs> I wouldn't get. Didn't want to give the foot it. back. You're just like you don't want to give his foot back. <laughs> so weird. 
Uh, yeah. We usually end our episodes with like recommending episodes. Uh, what would you recommend to a new viewer for Doctor Who? But I, I kind of think like Matt already answered that, but this is different. I may have changed my, I can't remember what I said. Well, we, specific, we, we keep it specific to uh, modern Who. That's right. That's right. And I think you well, said Blink. Yes, Blink. I would still say that. I would say, <laughs> I would still say that Blink is is quintessentially some of the best, has some of the best moments of modern Who, and and you can watch it without having seen anything else, and you go, "That's a really cool idea. I like that idea." What about you, Vanessa? Um, I mean, I always i've I've referred people to Rose the most because that's kind of how I got hooked. And even though there are these weird plastic mannequins, you're just like, keep watching, just keep watching. Um, I like, I loved Eccleston. I thought he was great. Um, I mean, I would definitely recommend the TV movie because I think that's fun. I'm going to do a third one because it's just so weird. And that is uh, Gridlock. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Gridlock's great. Yeah. <laughs> Gridlock because I'm so allergic to cats. These people, it's just so such a weird episode. <laughs> I don't think it will turn people on to Doctor Who, but having being in Los Angeles and knowing Gridlock, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I think it's a really, really bizarre episode. But you know, kind of like strangely, since since we last met, I I actually like the Rosa Parks episode. Yes, with Jody. I mean, I think I thought that out of all of the Chibnall stuff. That was quintessential. Jody had a, it, it was a very much a sort of a family thing. She made the she made the doctor more, uh, you know, it was sort of more sort of family friendly as a general kind of doctor. And I thought that was one that was fascinating because also it was a historical one, um, and they don't get done a lot. But, uh, yeah, I, I agree. really enjoyed that. Yeah, you can jump in at any time, and that be your first episode. You'll be. You'll yeah. be lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's it's not. It's a good one. It's good. And it's emotional, you know, as well, you know. And, and it seemed to sort of affect Jody's version of the Doctor as well. And I thought that was a strong thing to have. And I think people over the years are going to look back on Jody's Doctor, and it's going to increase in value and increase in you know in its relevance. I think it's going to be a it's it's going to be a, a, a something that matures with age because we look back on those seasons that she did yeah yeah and then uh where can we find you any uh reminder that it uh dr who am i is premiering uh, march 28th. march 28th 28th it'll be available on uh, you know all good platforms but also it'll be available to, to pre-order on itunes and apple tv the physical media will be available on um, you know, American Amazon. You can get a Blu-ray now if you're are from which is region, which is you know free region um, from UK Amazon. You can order that, and if um, if we're coming to your town, you know, get get that Blu-ray so we can sort of sign it for you and things, whatever. And you know. clarification: it's I think available for purchase to yeah. watch. I don't I don't think it's going to be streaming on like. Netflix yet? No, I'm, we don't know where it's going to be streaming, but it is going to be. You, you'll you'll be able to purchase to rent. You'll be yeah. able to rent it as well. So you can rent or buy a um, you know buy a, a digital copy. 
Yes. So be the, we don't know which plat. I mean, in the UK, it's it's coming out on BritBox um, as a uh, as a, but but it's not coming out on the American BritBox. It's coming out on the UK BritBox. Um, so I, we we don't know when exactly that's happening, but uh, but it'll be around soon. And then obviously, if anybody's in Boston and on the fifteenth of February, they've got nothing better to do. Go to Boston Sci-Fi. Not only is there are they showing our film, but we've got a Time Traveler's Ball that's taking place in the Crystal Ballroom as part. It, the Boston Sci-Fi Film Festival is the oldest genre film festival in America. Wow. I think the founding fathers founded <laughs> it. <laughs> they were there. We need sci-fi. And then you'll be at uh, Gallifrey One as well. Gallifrey yes. One at the end of that week on the 17th. So if you're going to Gallifrey, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners of this podcast are, um, make sure you're there at 8.30 on Friday evening after the masquerade. Um, and that's why I'll introduce it. And then on the Saturday, we've got a panel with uh, Ken Deep, like, likewise talking about the movie. And then on Sunday, we're doing a panel with Chris, Chris Chibnall. Um, that'll be fascinating. Never met him. So that'll be, that'll be uh, fascinating. So if you're going to Gallifrey, there's lots of there's lots of joys. It'll be a fascinating Gallifrey, that's for sure. I thought all your travels were in 2022, but it looks like you got more travels in 2023. Yeah, yeah. More. <laughs> you're never like, yeah, never. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> never ends. Conventions we've been we're getting told about. We're like, oh, okay, all right. For something I didn't want to do. In 2015, this has gone on for a long time. <laughs> it's taken up a lot of space it's and taken, time. No, I've, I've <laughs> loved time, it, actually. Money. <laughs> time, money, everything. But it's, I'm not complaining. It's an honest piece of work. Um, and, and we found, you know, some people see themselves in it, which is the important thing. No, I think that's very important. Like we, you, you were talking about, everybody sees something different. Yeah, it's a great show. I'm... I like it. You know, Matthew and I have our little like, because he's always on the fence a bit. Is he a fan? Is he a not a fan? In the documentary. Oh, yeah. And that's his journey. Oh, now. Now I'm a fan. <laughs> and I'm always like, I like the show. I like it. <laughs> looks. <laughs> I'm also excited. Uh, this is the, the year of the 60th. So we got a lot of yes. Dr. Who to look forward to this year. Yes. And isn't it exciting? Shuti Gatwar and the whole the whole yeah. you know rtd coming back that'll be exciting there's there's so much expectation around his return i'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with it i hope it's really fresh i mean that's the big one so, so. i hope it's fun yes yeah, so i hope it stays fun yeah well thanks for uh listening to us uh talk with matthew jacobs and vanessa yule we hope to see them next time when the future becomes the present Thanks for having us. Thank you. You just listened to an episode of Who Knew? Our wonderful theme music is by Michael Grady. Find him on Facebook at The Universe Explodes. Additional music is by Damiel Paggio. All our episodes are engineered by Auburn, and you can find him at auburnbinkley.com. You can also find this show in several places. Follow us on Twitter at Who Knew Podcast. Subscribe, review, and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Or on our YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash Hulu Podcast.
All our episodes are on whonewpodcast.com. Visit our Facebook page. Please leave comments, reviews, and click like to support Who New Podcast. To listen to our show on your Amazon Echo device, subscribe to us on Amazon Music. And then ask your Amazon device to play your podcast subscriptions. This podcast is inspired by Doctor Who. The longest running sci-fi show in history. And especially the revival spearheaded by Russell T. Davis. Thanks to Russell, Sidney Newman, Verity Lambert, Ron Grainer, and all those involved in the adventures of our favorite Time Lord. Your work continues to inspire and entertain.